this morning, um, I was really feeling God prompting me to talk about the hope that is in Jesus, the hope that is in um, what Jesus taught, but also what Jesus did. We're obviously celebrating when Jesus was born, and that is when hope was born. And there's this particular scripture that I stumbled across this week while I was just reading my Bible. It just really stayed with me. Um, so I would like to read it with you now and just meditate on it a little bit and then draw out some of the meaning from the message of Isaiah. I wonder if we could turn this aircon off for now just because my notes might blow away. Um, and things could take a very different turn if I lose my notes, which might be good, but maybe not. So let's say, uh, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2 and 3. Let's just really, as we read these words, let them sink into our hearts, because they are really beautiful words, possibly some of the most beautiful words in the whole Bible. That's a subjective thing to say, but you can tell me if you agree. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as men rejoice when dividing the plunder. I'm going to skip to verse, I think it's verse 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Don't you want to just put up that first verse again? Maybe one of the reasons why I love this verse is because my favorite time of the day is I'm a morning person and I love to take a drive down uh, to the beach and I love to watch the first rays of the light uh, illuminating the sky. You know when it's fresh and you see the, 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 the sky turn all these beautiful colors and there's that freshness in the air as the sun comes up. That's the picture the Bible gives of Jesus coming into the world. Isn't that beautiful? That is so incredibly beautiful. That when Jesus came into the world, it was like the first rays of the sun started to illuminate a world of darkness. When the Bible talks about darkness, it's often speaking about hopelessness. The darkness of a soul that is without hope. It's often talking about helplessness. Somebody that has lost hope because they've lost strength. They've lost any resource to get out of the situation that they're in. The Bible often talks about darkness as being evil and sin. That evil is dark. Evil brings about darkness in our own souls, but also in the souls of others. And into this dark world of hopelessness and helplessness and evil and sin, the light of Jesus dawns across the earth. And so, I don't know about you, but I mean, the world just generally can be a dark and hopeless and depressing place, but the last two years definitely haven't helped either. Uh, it sometimes is discouraging for me. I like to read the news, but another part of me doesn't like to read the news because some of the stories that you read in the news, it almost defies belief how evil the world seems to be at times. You know, when you read a story and you think, surely, surely no one's that evil. You know what I'm saying? It, it, it makes you feel despondent and discouraged. But worse than that is the evil that I sometimes see 
in my own heart. Never mind the news out there, but the thoughts and the, you know, the, the, the feelings and the emotions and the dark thoughts that sometimes spring up even in my own heart can be discouraging, can, can make you feel despondent. But the, the effects of sin also create broken relationships and broken relationships like divorce and maybe growing up in a family where maybe your parents are divorced or one of your parents have left. These create a pain in your heart and a darkness and a hopelessness that can be very discouraging. But more than, uh, not more than that, uh, added to that is the world can sometimes feel very unstable and unsafe and almost feel like there's nothing that stays the same that you can count on. If nothing else, the last two years have proven that. Overnight, I've had friends who have very well-established businesses have just disappeared, retrenched uh, tens of people overnight. And it asks you the question, is there anything in this life that's stable, that's certain, that's sure, that you can build on? Or is it all just uncertain and unstable? And so these are the kinds of things that the Bible's talking about when it refers to the world as being a, a place of darkness. And into this world of darkness comes Jesus, and Jesus brings hope. Why does Jesus bring hope? I want to just put up uh, one verse. We'll look at the rest of the passage just now, but in Revelation uh, chapter 21, verse 5, this is why Jesus brings hope. He says, He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. I'm making everything new. Just like the sun coming up in the morning brings a new day. Jesus coming into the world brings a new day. He makes things new. And that is what is the reason for our hope. Just as an aside, would, Michelle, don't you want to give me a, a, some water, please? Just so I can make things new in my throat as well. <laughs> so I want to spell that out. How is it that Jesus makes things new? Well, the first thing he does is he starts with you. Jesus makes you new. Jesus makes me new. He starts with the individual. And one of the things I love about reading the story of Jesus as he was walking around on the earth is these stories of individual people who found Jesus. And they, they are incredible stories. Uh, thank you, Michelle. I appreciate that. Just to pick up on one or two, uh, Matthew, Jesus found Matthew. Jesus spoke to crowds, but he also spoke to individuals. He would pick somebody out in the crowd and he'd speak to Matthew. Matthew was a tax collector. I've often joked um, that I've studied a little bit of Greek and the root word for tax collector is the same root word for taxi driver. <laughs> People thought of tax collectors in those days the way we think of taxi drivers these days. Actually, in English they sound similar, but in Greek they really don't. So, but people, had, people did not have a lot of love for tax collectors, and for, with very good reason. They, they, Israel was, was a conquered nation by Rome. The tax collectors betrayed their own people. They sold out their own people to enrich themselves. They, they uh, collected taxes for the oppressive Romans, and then added an extra fee for themselves, um, almost without limit, and they were hated and reviled. They were not nice guys. They were selfish. They were, they were traitors. They were the scum. 
and Jesus picks out Matthew, and he and he saves Matthew. He reaches into Matthew's life, and he changes Matthew. He makes Matthew new. And if you read the rest of Matthew's story, he wrote one of the Gospels. He became a man that was loving and generous and kind and honest. Jesus made Matthew new. Jesus encountered many prostitutes, um, and uh, many of these women were even demon-possessed. And so they were women without hope who had given up on their virtue and had given up on their lives, and they were without hope in a lost, dark place. And Jesus finds these women, and he makes them new. And uh, to add to the story, Jesus found me when I was in my late teens, and I was the world of darkness on which the light dawned, and I was a very troubled teenager. I was incredibly depressed. I was socially reclusive and well on my way to become an alcohol uh, addict, and I, I, was, I was hopeless, man. And the light of Jesus came and rose in my soul and made me new. And what's incredible uh, just to point out that cross there, we had a Christmas market and a whole bunch of people wrote our testimonies of what Jesus has done in their lives this year. This year. And I encourage you, if you're looking for some uplifting stories of what Jesus is doing, go and read on the cross there uh, a little bit later. But Jesus is still making people new. And that's the reason why Jesus brings hope. And Jesus can do the same for you if he hasn't done that already. But the hope of the gospel doesn't just extend to transforming individuals' lives, as amazing as that is. That would be enough. But it goes beyond that because Jesus said, I am making all things new. Not just you. Jesus is making all things new. Maybe we can read in uh, 2 Peter 3, verse 13. But in keeping with his promise, We are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. Jesus is going to make a new earth. Not just is he going to make you new, he's going to, the earth is going to get born again also. Um, So the message of the gospel is incredible hope. It starts with incredibly bad news and then it goes on to give an incredibly positive hopeful message. The bad news is that this earth is so full of evil, Jesus has actually condemned it. In the same way that a building inspector might go into an old decrepit building that's starting to fall apart, and the inspector looks and says, this building is past saving, and condemns it. And they usually put some tape in the front of the door and say, do not enter here. This building has been condemned. It's going to be destroyed. Jesus has condemned this world because he he has said it's so full of evil it it actually needs to be destroyed and made new so you tear a building down and you build a new building that is what god is planning to do with the whole planet so the bad news is that the world is condemned there is going to be a time when god's patience with evil and wickedness and sin is going to run out and when his patience run out his judgment will come and he is going to destroy all evil, including the whole planet. And then the good news is that he is going to make a new heaven and a new earth. And it says, the new earth will be a home of righteousness. What does that mean? 
Well, it means Jesus has already started the process of making you and me new if we are born again. We are being made new. We are being made holy. When Jesus comes, he will complete the process. And it says we will be perfect as he is perfect. Now, that's a miracle. The thought of imagining me as a perfectly holy like Jesus, that, that, that's a miracle. But it's true. He will complete the process of making us perfectly holy. And we as God's people will live on a new planet. And even the temptation to sin will be removed. Even the evil desires in my heart will be removed. And it will be the home of righteousness and the home of holiness. Now I want to just give you a further encouragement this morning. Because sometimes when you think about God making a new planet and judging the whole world, it sounds amazing, but a little bit like believing in Father Christmas or the Easter Bunny. Now, if you believe in those things, I don't want to put down your faith this morning. Oh, it's just a reference. The reason why I believe we have incredible confidence that Jesus is going to come again and He's going to make everything new is because the Old Testament prophets prophesied that Jesus would come and be the Messiah and they waited a couple of hundred years, but guess what? He did. He did come. And he fulfilled every prophecy made about him to the very exact detail. Let me give you an ex- ex- a, a couple of illustrations of how he, he fulfilled incredibly specific prophecy in his first coming. For example, in Ma- Micah 5 verse 2, just keeping in mind, this prophecy was given seven Hundred years before Jesus was born. Seven hundred years the people waited for this prophecy to be fulfilled. Out of you, Bethlehem, I won't pronounce the second word because I might not do justice. Through you, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. That was a prophecy that Jesus, the Messiah, would be born in Bethlehem. Now, if you've sung any carols, you'll be aware of the fact that Jesus was, in fact, born in Bethlehem. What about the life of Jesus? Well, 700 years before Jesus was born, in Isaiah chapter 35, verse 5 and 6, this is what it says about the coming Messiah. Then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness. That is a prophecy about Jesus' miracle ministry of making the lame to walk, the blind to see, the ear. Isn't that amazing? 700 years before Jesus was even born. The prophets were already prophesying about the kind of life that he would live. But there was even prophecies about him being betrayed, even how much money he would be betrayed for. In Zechariah chapter 11, verse 13, the Lord said to me, throw it to the potter, the handsome price at which they priced me. So I took the 30 pieces of silver and threw them into the house of the Lord to the potter. In Psalm chapter 22, if you ever have a friend who is skeptical and struggling to believe in Jesus, I would encourage you to read through the book of Psalm chapter 22 with them. Just one chapter. It almost feels like you're standing at the cross 
witnessing the, resu- the death and resurrection of Jesus. And this psalm was written 1,000 years before Jesus was born. Verse 1, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Those are the exact words which Jesus said on the cross. Verse 7, all who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Those are the exact words which people standing around the cross said about Jesus while he was being crucified on the cross. Verse 14. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax. It has melted away within me. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. That reference my bones are all out of joints. At crucifixion, there would be a dislocation of your limbs. That was part of the crucifixion process. Jesus almost died of dehydration on the cross. He was so thirsty from blood loss. This is describing the experience Jesus had. This is a thousand years BC. Crucifixion wasn't even invented yet. In verse 16, this is the last one we'll do from this passage. Dogs have surrounded me. A band of evil men has encircled me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them and cast lots for my clothing. That is almost as if somebody was standing at the cross witnessing the, resur- the, de- the crucifixion of Jesus. Piercing of his hands and his feet. Keeping in mind, crucifixion wasn't invented yet. We know for a fact that the soldiers did cast lots for his clothing. This was a thousand years before Jesus was born. What is my point in all of this? The first coming of Christ was prophesied. And I can guarantee you there were people after a couple of hundred years that grew wary of believing the promises that Jesus would come, that the Messiah would come. But as we've already read, those prophecies were fulfilled to the minutest detail So what do we do now about the promises and the prophecies that Jesus will come again? Well, if I was a betting man, I'd say the odds are very strong that they will be fulfilled exactly the way the New Testament prophesies, that that Jesus will return. Jesus will make all things new. And the incredible thing is that the first coming of Christ was over 2,000 years ago. But the impact of the ministry of Christ is still being measured today. In fact, in 20... 2013, the Time magazine, which is definitely no Christian magazine if you've ever read it, ranked Jesus as the most influential man in the history of the world. Amazing, hey? 2,000 years later, Jesus is still bringing hope. Jesus is still making people new. Jesus is still the light that has entered the world that is bringing light to a dark and depressing and evil, sinful world. And Jesus is going to come back again, and he's going to make all things new. I'm going to read now in closing that passage which we started reading earlier, Revelation chapter 21, verse 5 to 7. He who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. 
To him who is thirsty I will give to drink without cost from the spring of the water of life. He who overcomes will inherit all this, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. Jesus said, I am making all things new. Isn't that encouraging? I find that so encouraging. At a time, and I've said this a lot this year, hope is at a premium in the world that we're living in right now. It's a scarce commodity. But in Christ, we find hope. When Jesus came into the world, he brought hope with him. The sure kind of hope, which is rooted in the power of God. So the message of the gospel is a message of hope because it's a message of Jesus. But I want to say to you this morning, the message of the gospel is hope, but it's no hope to you unless you receive the invitation of Christ. It's just an empty message if you don't make it your message. If you don't put your faith in the person of Christ. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And he said, I am the only way to the Father. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so the, the message of the gospel requires from us repentance and faith. To repent means to say, God, not only do I acknowledge that I'm a sinner, I acknowledge that I'm too weak to save myself. The message of the gospel doesn't say you need to work harder to be a better person so that you can be good enough to go to heaven. The message of the gospel says you will never be good enough. You're a sinner. You need Jesus to save you. You're too weak to save yourself. And so the gospel requires humility from us to acknowledge, God, I know I'm weak. I know I'm a sinner. I need your salvation. I trust in no other name, no other person but Jesus to rescue me, to save me, to make me new. And we call that being born again. To turn away from my life of sin and choose to follow Christ with all my heart and with all my life. One of the best ways, I think, to describe what it means to be a Christian is to give your whole life to Christ and say, God, make me new. Lead me. Show me your way. Help me to walk in the plan that you have for my life. Amen? We're going to pray now.